Well, Merry Christmas Eve, Bethany North. Uh, it's your pastor, Scott. It's a joy to be with you here uh, this evening. Will you pray with me and we'll begin? Lord, thank you so much for Christmas Eve. Thank you for a chance to gather and to consider the way that uh, your life broke through. And in surprising ways, God, uh, you're inviting us to consider in new and powerful ways what your birth means for us. And so, God, would you open up our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts to encounter your truth and your hope and your life in new ways. We thank you, Jesus, for your birth. In your great name we pray. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas Eve again. Um, Our sermon today is called Becoming Beloved. And we've been in this series uh, based on the work from Scott Erickson, Honest Advent, that um, we would be honest and find Christ in our honesty. So um, this is my first chance to speak to many of you uh, since our fire a few weeks ago. And um, it's been an incredibly difficult time, as you might imagine. The reality is, is I'm sorry for, for our loss as a church. I'm sorry for your loss. Many of you that have been worshiping with us online, I know we're, we're eager to explore our new location. And some had even circled that as a time of maybe moving from online back to in-person. So the loss that we've been through is a big one. And we named a couple of weeks ago in our in-person worship that God can handle both our lament as well as our worship, our questions, as well as our declarations. God is that big. Our our human mind often isn't where we get stuck in the either or the black and white. God can handle it all. The scriptures tell us that. And for me, as your pastors, I've been seeking perspective in the season. Um, It's been helpful for me to know that, yes, our dream died to move into that facility. And also, Uh, There was much that could have been worse. We celebrate that lives were not lost. It's personal property. And uh, it does appear to be the end of that building for our church. And so while we uh, wait, our our dreams are very much alive for impacting our community with, with the gospel. So it's Christmas Eve. And we name the fact that Christ was born in an unlikely space, in the midst of disruptions, there's some characters that came out in the text that Lydia just read for us that I'm going to be teaching about. And it's the reminder, even in Luke 2, in tonight's message, that God does things different than we imagine. That's given me a great deal of hope in the midst of what has felt like a hard month for me. Because the Honest Advent series has been encouraging us that it's in our vulnerabilities that we move from awareness to worship, that God isn't inviting us outside of our actual story, uh, but right in the middle of the things we don't understand, Jesus is saying, that's where I want to lord over your life. And the story of the incarnation, the story of Christ's birth, the story of Bethlehem, all of it is so surprising and so beautiful that we get to tell that story tonight. A couple of weeks ago when, when the building burned, that, that day the staff gathered and, and we were literally standing in, in smoke and ashes and broken glass. I actually took a bunch of the broken glass home with me. I don't know what I'm even going to do with it, but I've held on to it almost as kind of like the worst kind of memorial, like an Ebenezer stone when things burn, when things are disrupted, when things break that we wanted to be whole. 
I'm not quite ready to move to that place of acceptance and saying, oh, God, God's going to be, you know, awesome through this. It's just, it still hurts a whole lot. But I gathered the glass in order to be aware, in order to be reminded of what we said in the series that's in our vulnerabilities that the breakthrough happens. It's in the surprising narratives that our worship becomes a declaration that we don't worship God only when our buildings open and our plans go the way we want. We worship God even in spaces where we do not understand. So I'd love to just quickly recap and we'll teach here through Luke 2. But when we opened this series, I talked about this perspective of vulnerability and encountering God in the middle of the mess in the middle of our actual lives. A lot of people disengage from the life of faith because they have an idol that once their life is put together, then they'll be ready to encounter God. But this series, we've been declaring that it's actually through the Advent season and the waiting for the, the, the lack of resolution in the world and the things we can't yet understand that is the very invitation through vulnerability for God to break through. We, we talked about Mary and her willingness, even what she couldn't quite ascertain as like, how will this end? She says, may it be so. It's an invitation for us. May it be so, church. When, when things turn out differently than we expect, may it be so. There's an opportunity for obedience when we struggle, when we suffer, when the chips are stacked against us. And then there was this other perspective, and I got to preach on that when we were talking about like, what dreams do we have um, for God in our life? And are we still, do we still have this big vision for God? Do we dare to dream? Now, I preached that message just three or four or five days before our building burned. And it's been quite a conviction for me. Do those words that I preach there in the second week of the Advent series, do they still resonate in the midst of my hurt and my despair? They must but, but that's the ache, that's the rub. Like what we said there, we used a David Brenner quote that it's not presence of God missing, but awareness. God is always present. We need to be aware of it. Now that's, that's an easy thing to preach on a Sunday morning, but can I, can I, while standing in smoke and ashes and glass, can I still say, it? God, you're present in this. Help me be aware of it. We wrestle with it. And God doesn't move us beyond our pain or through our pain quickly. God can handle our pain, but we're, we're pressing into these places of saying, God, even in what hurts or what I'm confused about, will you give me awareness that you're here there? It's, it, it, this was what we said, the holy of holies and the gap from what we dream for before we actually see the reality of it. That's where our faith is formed. That's where our trust is forged. That's what it is. And, and a prayer time right after the building burned, God gave me a picture of Hebrews 12. You know, consider Christ, who for the joy set before him endured all things for the cross. And for that reason, do not let your people grow weary. Do not lose heart. So when we struggle, when we face situations that seem like obstacles, there is the call to, to, to continue to believe that God is working in that, in all things. So t tonight I want to consider um, kind of a main idea from Luke 2, and it's a bridge from this series to tonight's text of the, the Christmas Eve story, and an encouragement that in the same way that Christ came through obstacles and, and surprises, that God wants to do more in your life, right in the middle of things that you don't yet understand, that God has made a place for you in, in his story 
and that the obstacles of humanity are not insurmountable to God because God delights in writing surprising stories. I still believe that's true. And God's not done with you yet. God's not done with me yet. Will we honestly believe that we are the beloved? That we have an invitation to consider ourselves in the story through Christ's birth, that we are God's beloved people. And when, when belief uh, takes charge in our life in the midst of our pain and the things we can't quite figure out what God's doing, but we still believe that's when our testimony is being written. So let's consider here from Luke 2, the text that Lydia read for us. The first thing I want to say to you that God works his holiness in the middle of our obstacles, not despite obstacles, but right in the middle of them. This comes from the beginning of Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. I'll pause there. Now, very familiar text to anyone that's grown up in the church or going, you know, grown up going to Christmas Eve pageants or this thing. But I want to name the disruptions in this text. It was quite helpful for me in a very disrupted uh, state that I've been in since the fire burned our building to see the disruption in this, in this text. Like pe- the first disruption, there's people that disrupt what we feel like should be the way that God should do things. Let me, let me name some disruptions here. We know the name's Mary Joseph, but the other names here from Luke 2, uh, Caesar Augustus. He gives the decree. And then Quirinius, whose full name, uh, historian tells, was Publius Sulpicus Quirinius. He was a Roman aristocrat installed over the province of Syria for the specific purpose of pulling off this census. The logistical challenge of the census for the whole world of the Roman world was quite a feat. Rome was powerful and Rome was organized and Rome was instituting control and accounting in the way that people of God had not been through. These are powerful people lording their power over God's people in first century Israel. Now, first century Jews would probably be asking these questions. How am I meant to come to full life in faith while Rome's in power? How am I supposed to, like for Joseph, for Mary, how are we supposed to even bring this baby into the world where the place that we probably stay, Nazareth, we've got to travel 90 miles to Bethlehem. That's not the plan. And so there's just this reminder that there are people that become obstacles to what we think God should be doing in our lives. And the census we can just name as an obstacle too. The people of God knew that it was not right for them to count themselves. I don't know if you remember, Bible students would be like, oh, I remember that. In 2 Chronicles 10, it says this, David's heart struck him after he had numbered his people. David did a census. It was a sin before God. And this comes from 2 Chronicles 10. David says, I have sinned greatly in what I've done, but now Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant. I've done so foolishly. Why, why was a census foolishness and sinfulness to the people of God? Because to count people was to take credit for people. So ancient Jews, they would never do a census. And the fact that in this story, like that was a thousand years between the time of David and the time of Christ. But in this story, uh, Joseph and Mary, they've got to go to Bethlehem for a census, like disruption. Like that's not how God would do it. They would probably think. They would probably think we would stay in our hometown, but these Roman people are kind of lording their power over us in a way we would never give give credit to. Like that's a disruption. 
and, and their place is disrupted. We get that. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they lived in Nazareth. And because of the census that was for the, the reason of taxation, uh, they've got to travel to Bethlehem. Now, property and valuables like, you know, are, are, are to be counted, to be taxed by the, the Roman Empire. And because Joseph, uh, the father, the family line came through Bethlehem, everyone had to go to their hometown. It, now, so nine-month pregnant fiance, um, she's got to go to Bethlehem. Now, in their mind's eye, they're probably thinking, what a disruption. We would never choose this. I'm not, you know, maybe Mary has started to make that connection from Micah 5. You, Bethlehem, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Like the, the text had pointed to that. Mary had received the annunciation, like you're going to give birth to like the savior of the world. But I can only imagine for Joseph, what it would be like for him to go those 90 miles. What a disruption. But God seems to be in this text from Luke 2, reminding and teaching people from then and for us today, I work in disruption. I work in people that seem like they're disrupting us in places that feel like maybe it's not where you would prefer to be. It's right in those people and places that God says, I can work my way here. I can bring life here. I can bring, I can bring Christ here. And this is super helpful for us when we, when we can see the way in which the people or places around us don't seem aligned with where we think the people or places should be. It's an opportunity for faith to grow. It's a, it's a place to say, maybe God, you're working here in surprising ways. This is what Scott Erickson said in Honest Advent. We've been quoting all month. It's been super helpful. He says, your incarnation the beginning of who you will become may happen in the small town where no one expects anything like that to be birthed, but it will not go unnoticed by the heavenly host. In fact, they may even sing over it. See, I wish for you and I wish for me that this wasn't the case, that I wish we lived in less disrupted times where the people and places of our journey maybe felt easier or more or, or more in line with our desires or our plan for the future. But the story from Luke 2 is just this beautiful reminder that as Mary and Joseph head to Joseph's hometown, it's not going to be easy, but God's going to be in it. it it's not going to happen the way that you would have drawn up, but God will bring life here. This means that when disruptions happen, it's an opportunity for our faith to grow. Now, all of you, if we were sitting down having coffee, I would be able to ask you, tell me a story where this was true for you, where there was a disruption on the people or the places or the plan, but in time you saw, oh, God was working. Like that happens all the time. Like the job, they're like, oh, I'm crushed. We get home. And then like six months later, the, you know, the business goes out and you're like, I'm so glad. Or the relationship, oh man, you know, XYZ girlfriend from elementary school or junior high. You're like, oh, I was gutted. And then later you're like, oh, you know, that was, I'm so glad God. Like it's perspective, which helps us understand it, the, the people and places that at times we feel like this isn't the plan, but perspective often like, oh God, you were working there. We've been telling a lot of stories about our college experience to, to our daughter who's a senior because she's in the midst of applications and waiting for letters. And, you know, like when you're a senior in high school, man, the world is an oyster. I could be anywhere from Bellingham to 
you know, to the East Coast. Like I can go anywhere. And, and so, you know, sending out applications, praying, d- discerning, like wh- where will I go? I've been t- thinking of my story. Like for me, when I was in high school, I was going to go to school at the East Coast. Like, man, I've got the plan. I've got the place. I- I've got the people. I had this coach who, who was going to give me the nod. It was an Ivy League school and I needed the coach's endorsement to play football. And it was all just, it was working until it wasn't. I you know, cut my finger off before my senior. I wasn't even going to play. I ended up playing. It's a miracle. I, I guess, God, that's what you're doing. And then just a small handwritten card at the end of my senior and it had been a successful season. Like all the, all the markers were like, I've got a plan. It's going to go great. And then this small little note, dear Scott, we are no longer recruiting you for our university. We have found somebody better at your position. <laughs> Gutted, right? Not even kind. Like you could just say we, I mean, they could have said something other than like, we found somebody better. Like that's just adding insult to injury, right? And gutted because the plans that I had, it was like God just lit them on fire. Sorry for a fire image there, but that's how I felt at the time. But, you know, perspective, I ended up in Spokane, went to school there, made friends with people that changed my life, met a woman who to this day I'm enamored with. And it was like, none of that would have happened by my plan. So when the places and the people and the things of our life start to get disruptive, God's like, I can move in what you see as obstacles. Like if you'll follow me in belief, not everything work out for a reason. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in this Luke 2 narrative, there's an invitation to consider that we have no idea the ways in which God is, is making obstacles became an opportunity. We see obstacles. God's like, oh, I'm seeing an opportunity for a story to be written. And it's not, it's not easy, but God can be in it. The second thing I want to say is that God works in the middle of unlikely people here from Luke 2 to achieve his presence, his fulfillment, the Christ born. Look at verse 4 of, of Luke 2. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. A lot of details here. Joseph, the Nazareth region of Galilee, province of Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Joseph, we know, was of David's kingly line. He belonged to the house and line of David. He's going home. This is a hometown with relatives there who would be people who knew him and knew his story. Certainly in the first century, the, the, the alignment around your family of origin and particularly of the father's family of origin would have been like you would orientate your life by it. Certainly they, they live now in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem, they were known, they had people, they had, that was their tribe. And something in this story is very mysterious. And in Honest Advent, Scott Erickson talks about that a great deal. Like, you know, what is the story that you've been told? Is You know, Jesus was born in, in a cave outside of Bethlehem or in a barn on the outskirts or maybe on the ground floor. We don't have all of the details, but the reality is for Joseph and Mary to be going home, but there is no room for the inn. Like there's something in there that's a, it's a story pregnant with hidden meaning. There's a story of like, 
you would think if somebody showed up to the hometown for the census with a nine-month pregnant woman, somebody would have given up their master bedroom. Somebody would have said, hey, you're here. We're so proud. Like, come on in. We want to take care of you. But there was no room for them. There's something in the family that's not able to hold space for Joseph and Mary, whether it was her pregnancy out of wedlock and there were rumors, whether it's they were treated as outsiders because of their standing in social circles or we don't know, but Luke says there's no room for them. And the reality there is that Many of us can, uh, during the holidays, as we spend time with family and family origin, and the reality is, is sometimes our families can be difficult spaces to inhabit, be difficult to know, how do I fit in here? Where's there space for me? And so I don't want to go too far down into that, but it's interesting for you to consider. And I only want to say this because in the, in the story of Christ, there's always room for you. Like you're never... You're never going to put Jesus out. He's never going to be bothered when you show up. He's never going to hold you to a story that you were going to marry the other person or you weren't going to get pregnant. Like there's never disappointment in the eyes of your Lord. There's just not. It's It's just not in his character. God delights in you. And my fear is sometimes we show up and we kind of feel like Joseph and Mary in the story of like, I thought there would be room for me and there's no room for me in in the church or in other Christian circles, whatever. And so we feel excluded and the enemy starts to work and kind of push us outside of Christian community. What Christian community is forged in, none of us could could earn our way into, you know, having room in the inn for us here, but we're all invited by Christ's divine presence. And so may you feel invited, may you believe that in people or, or places where maybe you don't feel like a room is being set for you, Christ is saying, ah, I prepared space for you. I'm delighted to see you. I want to be with you. You are chosen. You are loved. You are mine. You're mine, says Jesus. And that's kind of where I want to end there. Like if we get to Luke 2, verse 7, Christ's birth. It's such a beautiful picture for us to end this message on. It says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth. She placed him in a manger. There was no guest room available for them, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because what Mary does is invites Jesus all the way into the story. And then if we flip it, Christ invites us all the way into his story. Erickson, again, in Honest Advent says this, the story of Jesus' incarnation did not come without complications, but God provided room, a room. And and the gift of the incarnation will provide room for you too. It may not be the one you imagine or the one that pleases everyone, and it may leave you uninvited to your own family reunion, but it is the incarnation you've been given. And it comes with good news and it comes with great joy. So where does your hope come from this season? Where does your joy come from? Do you believe that you're invited as the beloved of God to be in his presence, to experience more of him at the end here of this calendar year and the beginning of the next? Do you believe that God's 
made space for you. That, that Mary Peace, she, she, she held, she wrapped, she laid. Like, may we believe that God is longing to hold us, to wrap his arms around us, to place us in a place where we'll be comforted and cared for by his presence. And though there are obstacles and there are distractions and there are things breaking around us and there's a reality that the path that we walk would not be the one that we choose. God is saying in this route, there's an opportunity for more relationship with me. May we believe that there is opportunity in the midst of every obstacle. I would, I'd be lying if I didn't say, this has been a really difficult season as your leader, but there is an opportunity in the midst of this mess to continue to believe, to continue to trust. I've said it on several times and I'll say it again. This is our testimony right now how we react when the building burns, what hope we point to. It was never supposed to be about a building. It is about the people of God being the beloved of Christ and turning and loving the broken world that God also has space and loves. Like becoming missionaries, not because our building is so nice, but because look at us, like we're, we understand brokenness too. And every obstacle is an opportunity. That's, that's what we want to end with here. I'll tell you a final story here that comes um, from history on a very special Christmas song, Silent Night. A professor from SVU sent me this story once he heard about our building being burned, and I'll share it with you now. The song Silent Night was first performed Christmas Eve 1818. It was a poem that the priest of the village, Father Moore, had created on a surprising walk home two years earlier. He had taken a different route than he had planned and looking down on his little Austrian village and seeing the twinkling lights and seeing the beauty, he was surprised by the beauty in the midst of the darkness. And so he wrote a poem about Silent Night. On Christmas Eve, the Father Moore wanted to, 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 to bring this as a blessing to his people. See, his people had suffered a great loss because there had been a flood in the village and everybody loved the organ in the church. But the organ had been damaged by the flood. It was inoperable. They believed they were gonna have a worship service led by the organ. But what happened was an obstacle and the flood disabled the organ. So Father Mar went to the organist nearby, Franz Gruber, and said, could you come up with a melody? The organ's not going to work. But Gruber said, we can try something on my guitar. And they wrote the, the melody to Silent Night and laid the lyrics of the poem onto this simple guitar chord. Nobody was playing the guitar for worship in 1818, but it was all they had. And so that year on Christmas Eve, 1818, they sang with simple chords on a simple guitar, these beautiful words, silent night, holy night. In every obstacle is an opportunity. And when the floodwaters rise, when the fires burn, may we be a people saying, I don't have an organ, Lord, give me your guitar. 
we don't have a new building on 220th, but we have a we have an auditorium. We have the space that you're listening in. We, every opportunity can be an opportunity for us to be the beloved ones. Christ breaking into our story. May you believe your God loves you. And may this be an opportunity for your faith to grow in the reality that you are the beloved. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for the beautiful story from Luke 2. And I know we've read it and we've, we've studied it and we've heard it year after year after year, but it, it feels new this year, God, in the midst of the reality of the obstacles we're facing as a worshiping community. But Jesus, would you use this season to write a testimony that in the midst of, of obstacles, of uh, places that f- are disrupted, people that feel like they're ruling over us, family of origin maybe that's not making space for us in the way that we'd want or any other obstacle, God, we name it as an opportunity for your light to break in. Would you grow your church to understand your love and like that simple story of Silent Night, God, when the floodwaters rise around us, would you teach us how to make music with whatever, whatever instrument we have in our hand, whatever, whatever opportunities we have. God, may we be a people experiencing your belovedness. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a place in your family through the divine presence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we pray that your way would be formed in us that we would come to know you deeper and truer and more broadly in the year ahead. In your name we pray, amen.